Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we'll be wrapping up our look at Anthony and Cleopatra. If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, please reach out to us at facebook.com slash lionfaceproductions. And now, on with the show. You cannot get it until it starts getting warm out, and you can also not get it unless you're at certain places, because I notice a lot of places don't carry. You know where it always has it, even in the winter? The ghetto! The place down the street, uh, well, down the road, like uh, outside of Wayne, has Limon Pepino Gatorade usually. The stop and go uh, at Monroe in Upton always has it. Limon Pepino Gatorade, though, is fantastic. Uh, if you have not tried it, listeners, try the lime cucumber Gatorade because it is the best. Are we recording? Oh yeah, we're recording. We're recording us talking about lime cucumber Gatorade, which is very good. It is surprisingly so. It right. is. Um, also, we are going to be recording uh, Shakespeare episode twelve. It's true. My name is Elizabeth Roars. I'm Ryan Hatto. Cassie Greenley. Chase Greenley. That's right. And we are all here gathered together for episode 12, where we will continue talking about Antony and Cleopatra, which, uh, if you listen to episode 11... It's a long one. Episode 11 is a little bit long, except we should have just, we should have just had Beth summarize it in her whirlwind style. I'm good at it. For the entire thing, because the last five minutes are an incredible whirlwind of Beth. At four and act five. Done, done. Beth uh, covering the most important things like titty snakes and so things like that. Everybody knows, when you walk into this play, everybody knows how Cleopatra died. Yeah, well, yes. Because, I mean, well, one, she was a historical figure and existed in reality. And two, it is a famous death. I mean, asps. Well, and Elizabeth uh, Taylor did it. Elizabeth Taylor did a film, Cleopatra. Uh, Claudette with, Colbert did it as well. With Richard Burton. Yeah. Who she was married to. And they had a lot of Shakespeare's out of Richard Burton. Well, but the Cleopatra that... Is not Shakespeare. No. The Cleopatra that Elizabeth Taylor did is not Antony and Cleopatra. Though... She has done Shakespeare, and she Richard Burton has done many, lots, lots. many Shakespeare's, and they have done Shakespeare together. It's not Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra that they do, but it is for intents and purposes. True, it in is... Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra, she's never marched through the streets of Rome. However, that's a huge scene. Yes. Um, so. The, the the ending of that play, yeah, it's dynamic, it's amazing, I do enjoy it, but we all already know it. So if we're running out of time on a podcast, let's push through that one. My favorite. That's delightful. What are you drinking? Uh, this is Brewery Amagang's Rosetta. One of the reasons I brought this is because the Rosetta Stone itself uh, oh comes from Egypt. It's true. Cassie and I have seen it. We have in person. It's true. One of the many stolen artifacts that we've seen at the British Museum. 
The Rosetta Stone is smaller than I thought it'd be. It was found in 1799, and it contains three versions of a decree issued from Memphis, Egypt, in uh, 196 BC. And the important part is during that part of it... the Ptolemaic dynasty. And, and that would be Cleopatra's dynasty. Yes. She's the last queen of the Ptolemaic line. Um, and so the important part of the Rosetta Stone is, of course, that part of it was written in Greek. And yes. because part of it was written in Greek, they were able to then decipher hieroglyphs, and it opened the way to understanding what happened in Egypt. It, it, it opened the understanding of the Egyptian language because there were three versions of the decree, one in Greek, one in Egyptian, and then the third was... It's in a cuneiform. I don't, I don't really remember. Yeah. Um, but... Maybe Syrian or something like that. Oh, Syrian. So, uh, they would have been, again, a Middle Eastern country that was also part of the Egyptian Empire at that point. So, Just like when we were talking about Julius Caesar, the interesting thing here is these are very real people who have affected our lives as modern citizens because of the history that they created. Yes. More, more so than John II or Henry V did. Not Henry VIII, of course, he's the Church of England, all that kind of stuff, but... Well, Henry V, I think, had a, an enormous impact, but, I mean, that's... that's. You really like his impact. <laughs> was that a was that a sex joke about Henry V? It was. Okay, all right. Thanks for explaining my jokes. I was, well, I was, my mind was boggled as to why that I would want to be, I don't know. I think you really do. Okay, so... But so these these are we're real. talking we're talking about the Ptolemaic dynasty. This is Syrian. Yeah, so we've dynasty. got we've got uh, Cleopatra who's married to her brother. Yes, she is as the Ptolemies were wont to do. Right, so she she of course goes to the Caesars to be like my brother is ridiculous. Help me overthrow him. They do. She has a child with one. She falls in with Julius Caesar. And has, they, has Caesarian. Caesarian is their child. Um, falls in then with Mark Antony. Um, and that, that is the premise of our play, is the love story there. Because she... And she some, say, such, some say love story, I say lust story. She, But I think she is... No, I'm going to say love, because he does a lot of things that go against his character... True, but I think I think he was very much in love with her in this play, and I think that she may be one of Shakespeare's best written female characters. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm also I I don't necessarily deny Mark Antony's love for Cleopatra. I question how much Cleopatra actually loved Mark Antony. And that may just be one of the great things about Cleopatra, in my in my opinion, is that she is a woman that gets what she wants, how she wants it, throughout uh, throughout the way she's written. And one of the ways she gets that is she manipulates, she straight manipulates Mark Mark Antony to get what she wants from him. So then. That doesn't. I don't think that weakens her in any way. She knows what she wants, and she uses Mark Antony to get it because she knows that she so, is queen of a weaker nation compared to the Roman Empire. I mean, I, I mean, she loves him enough that she can't imagine being without him and all of these other things. She is. I imagine she couldn't in, imagine being without Julius Caesar either. 
But she's clearly in love with him. She's obsessed over it. Like, she's jealous over who he might be marrying. She really needs to know all of this. She sends her her messengers. Um, so there's so I much... I disagree that it's love, though. On her end. So then I, then I have to ask, is this, in fact, that it's not love? Or is this just how one man tends to write how women love? Oh, and that could be as well. I just, I don't, I think, I think it, on her end, it's it's pure political maneuvering to get what she needs for her country, for her nation, for the Egyptians. She, I mean, she is a queen first. She does have people, but she's willing to unpeople all of Egypt to send him love letters. Well, she says that. She says that, but I think that's florid prose. But I think, <laughs> I think it's kind of telling that she aligns herself with power as much as she does because she was with Julius Caesar and then as soon as he was killed she went mm, alright well I'm going to go for that one who did the killing I'm going to align myself with him well Mark Antony didn't, didn't do kill. with the killing well but he kind of came into power he came into power of because, of because of the killing because of the killing and yes. so she's like alright well then I'm going to shift over to this guy, and then as soon as Mark Antony is Before dead, the body is even cold. She's like, alright, Octavius, you're looking pretty good. And oh, I but think she never has a love affair with Octavius. She just is like, well, well no, I guess she, I gotta go with you. She killed herself. But but it's a political expediency. Yeah, and so I think that there's, there's definitely the pattern of... I think you can look at it as her going, this person's in power, it's beneficial for me to be attached to them, so I might as well enjoy it. That's why I think it's a love story on the side of Mark Antony. It is not a love story on the side of Cleopatra. For Cleopatra, it is all about what will benefit her and her country. She is political expediency. Well, and her country is occupied. Yes. And her country how, is absolutely occupied by Rome. How does she make life better for her citizens when dealing with the occupying force of Rome? Well, if I got a fuck this Mark Antony guy for a while. I guess I'll do that and I'll drive him up a wall. Because, <laughs> and you see it through... She does, it. she does help him, though. But you see it through her mood swings throughout the entire the entire play where she will be hot and cold on him in the turning of three, three lines and all of a sudden she's like... Yeah, but often those lines are, I married someone else. Or, my wife's dead and I don't care. No, this happens before even that. This happens right in the beginning where she's like, go, leave leave for Rome. Listen to the messengers. Caesar's calling you back. You must go. Oh, well, now I finally listen to the messengers and I must go. Oh, go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. You can't oh, see, go. see, I read that as being very sarcastic. Like, yeah, 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 fine. If no, Caesar, she... Caesar calls and you go answer. You go answer. See, now I disagree. I think she was, she was, you know, testing him. Yeah, see if you'll go. Well, yeah. She was testing him. I don't think it was it's, sarcastic. I think she was... It's it's the age old, like, hey, honey, can I go hang out with my friends? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go. Hang out with your friends. That sounds good. Go. Luckily, I'm a guy that takes that at face value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to work for you. Well, don't lie to me then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But this this just this just goes to prove that women have been doing that. Oh, I'm I'm not saying that. I See, I actually I don't think it weakens Cleopatra. Since the Renaissance. In, I don't I don't think it weakens Cleopatra in any way to use Mark Antony for her betterment. 
I don't think that weakens her. I think it strengthens her, actually, because she knows what she has to do to benefit Egypt, and so she does it. And that's why she's one of the stronger feminist characters that's out there. And I think that there's affection on her end for Mark Antony. I don't think she's unaffectionate. That's, yeah. yeah and because because when he's gone, she is saying, I miss him. I wish he was back. I wish he was here. Yeah. Why, why isn't he here with me? She does. I think she does genuinely have some sort of care for him. She just kind of wishes but... he didn't have this tie to Rome, so he could just be there with her on her beck and call. She's a queen. Mm-hmm. He's just a triumvirate. Like they can take care of it. You stay here with me. I am a queen. But yeah. she also realizes that tying herself to him because of Rome—they didn't get married. Well, she was already married. He represents Rome. <laughs> so was he. He represents. He, he represents Rome. And Rome is the occupying force of Egypt, and so she has tied herself to a man. There's nobody above Mark Antony. Not technically, though Caesar, you know, believes himself to be above, and eventually at the end is because he, you know. Literally, he's the last man standing. Yeah, he murders and maneuvers. Everybody he, in a political way so that he can become the first emperor of Rome. Octavius ends up supremo ombre, but last man standing, supremo ombre. Um, but I, I understood what supremo ombre meant. Okay, well, you gave me a look. So I did because I never mind. But eventually, Octavius does do that. But she has tied herself to one of the three most powerful men of Rome. Mm-hmm. It benefits her, and she uses that to her advantage, and she keeps Mark Antony on a tight string. Yes, she does. I think she might, honestly... That doesn't mean she doesn't care for him. Right, but I think she also kind of underestimates, to an extent, how much he cares. Yes. Because of the whole... She's like, oh, just tell him that I've died, because that'll get him back to me. He'll come to cry over my corpse. And then I can be like, And then I can be like, oh, no, I'm not dead. And instead, he fucking tries to Ah. kill himself. At this moment, there's a, there is a friar. Somewhere. Somewhere there's a friar. This never works! (laughs) Don't do it! It literally never works! where I have sinned before. And so I can just listen, bitch. Don't tell him you're dead. (laughs) You just picture her in the tomb, and he is hoisted in monument in her yeah in her monument, monument. like bleeding from the side. She's like, "What did you do? You were dead. I stabbed myself (laughs) there. Yeah, I missed twice. (laughs) I missed." Although, can I just say that one of my favorite... I'm the worst stabber. One of my favorite, most ridiculous moments from this whole play is Antony going to Anabarbus and saying, Cleopatra is dead. I cannot live. Please, will you kill me? And Anabarbus goes, no, but I will kill myself. And stabs himself. Since Since we're talking about about Cleopatra, I will bring out. Will you yes, please move on your I'll bring out the last, uh, the the third themed beer that I brought 
for this, but I have to grab about the beer quick first. Yeah, do, do you want to explain yes pleasing? Because you did do that last episode and it has okay. not been... Yes please is what you say... To politely ask somebody to bring you a beer. Yes please. Wh- whoever is going to where the beers are located, be it the cooler or the fridge or, you know, what whatnot. Because a kind person would say, do you need a beer? And then the response you would give would be, yes, please. So I just assume that Ryan's going to ask me if I want a beer when he gets up, so I just tell him ahead of time. Ge- generally speaking, is it, and it's been a thing in our group of friends for a long time, is to go, if someone's getting up and going and grabbing a beer, someone will go, yes, please. And if someone else hears that, and they need a beer, they'll often go, yes, please. And eventually the person that's getting beers will be like, okay, how many yes, pleases do I have? <laughs> And, you know, you might end up with five or six yes pleases, and you grab five or six beers, and you take them out to the, you know, wherever people are drinking, and you deliver the beers. Yes, please. Okay. It's just, it's our group's polite way of asking for another beer. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, But since we were talking about Cleopatra, uh, this beer specifically I brought because of her. The Siren Noir. Because she is the dark siren of Egypt. She calls these men to her and they do everything that she wants them to do. Because she's super smart. She's very intelligent. She's very attractive. Well, As we learned so from Enobarbus's. History tells us, though, that she actually wasn't super attractive, but. Cause she, I mean, she comes from super inbred stock. So she wasn't super attractive, but she was very intelligent, and that is something that she all was good of us at marketing. Overweight, yeah. Sli- yeah. slightly unattractive, smart girls from high school are like, "Yeah, but Cleopatra did it." <laughs> so yeah, she, we hold on to that one. She was good at marketing. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only good at marketing, she's incredibly intelligent. So these men who are used to only speaking to other men at that level, she can hold those conversations. She spoke. Several languages. So she could speak she could, eloquently. She could yes. pick up and put down languages, no matter where she's at. So the um, the mythos around Cleopatra is this like, uh, so so beautiful, so versatile, so smart, well, so incredible. And she also did not have a stigma about sexual relations. Yeah, and, she, and but which was very time, appealing to those men. So most of the time, when we see. Women in history who are overtly, uh, overtly sexual, they are also demonized. She is one of the few figures in history who is overtly sexual, and instead of it being of of something that is villainized in her, it is instead something that is uh, praised. It's something that's lauded about her. Oh, we got to take a break for pizza. Pizza. Ah, <sighs> that pizza was so delicious. Yeah, anyway, um, pizza, good. Uh, Cleopatra, good at marketing. Cleopatra was good at marketing. Mark Antony, Belfort, Cook, Wine, and Sinker. Mark Antony is not necessarily the brightest guy. But, politically, since we have been talking politically, having Cleopatra on your side does mean that there is a large population that is not going to revolt. True. So... Octavius coming to be like, hey, let's do this peacefully and you come with me instead of us trying to have to run over the Egyptian people who have been difficult to conquer for their entire existence. 
Even the, even the Persian army wasn't able to really conquer Egypt. Yeah. Well, it, it, you don't want to mess with them. I don't. And so the alliance with Cleopatra makes complete sense. But she's like, mmm, titty snakes. Titty snakes. Yeah, well, she she felt that she needed to... Uh, well, she didn't to own up to the fact that she told Mark Antony that she was going to die by, by asp. Well, she also didn't want to be paraded in front of Rome as if she was some sort of conquered subject. Uh, similarly to what happened to Vercingetorix at the beginning of Julius Caesar. It's true. And so... She's, she knows what happened to the king of the Gauls. So it's it's... It, it makes sense that she would decide instead. She chose to her own herself. life. Yeah, so in charge of herself the entirety of her life. Um, you are interested in her, the the one man who truly loved her. The man who loved her uh, above all. I feel like I'm going to be upfront about things, which is that I did not actually read this play. <gasps> I know. Cassandra! I know. Well, it's largely because we forgot we were doing this, and so we got the message. Edit it out! (laughs) But we were frantically, I was frantically reading out loud the synopsis as we were running around cleaning the apartment. You never have to clean for us. (laughs) You need some place to put the table. So we're reading, and I'm reading, and I'm reading, and all of a sudden... Antony asks Anobarbus to kill him, to kill him. Anobarbus says no and kills himself instead. And I was like, what? Wait, what? Rewind that. <laughs> no, I love your wife so much. <coughs> I love your girlfriend so much more than you. I will die. Wait. Yes, Anobarbus <laughs> chooses to kill himself instead of killing Mark and Antony. I'm choosing to believe that it is because Anobarbus got so tired of trying to be the voice of reason in this play <laughs> and not having anybody pay attention to him. Because how many times do we see him go, hey, maybe you shouldn't go antagonize that dude. Hey, maybe you should How come the friars never killed themselves? <laughs> yeah. So your theory, your theory barely pans out there. I, <laughs> I didn't get through the whole thing. Oh, sorry. But, but no, so, I, do, so I do finally, kind of agree with you and so finally, And so finally he goes, hey, Cleopatra is apparently dead. What do you want to do about it? And Mark Antony goes, kill me, because I can't live without her. And, and Barbus just goes, nah, I'm out, man. I can't deal with this nah, shit bro. anymore. <laughs> if you die, I die. And if you then, die, I die. And then Mark Antony looks at that and goes, oh, how brave, how honorable of him to kill himself. I will follow his example. Oops, I will I also fall upon my sword. Oops, I missed. Oh, shit, I missed. <laughs> but, but badly. I fell on my sword. And then, and then here comes Sassy Gay Friend back to be like, oh, she's not really dead. <laughs> Look at what? your life. And Look somewhere, somewhere Romeo and Juliet's Look ghosts mortal are, are watching Mark Antony going, psh, amateur. He was, too. He was complete amateur hour trying to fall on his own sword. Juliet's like, I was 13 years old and I managed to hit the target with the blade. And Brutus is going, I am still better than you. In death. I did it. You couldn't. I'm still better than you. Should have been Brutus up there. That was a hard. And also, back just this whole play. practice of we have will Brutus, you... Brutus and Cleopatra. I don't think it works. But this whole um, practice of you are my very best friend. 
Will you hold this sword so I can impale myself upon it? Maybe we don't have as close of a friendship as we thought. Well, you won't put my hair in your ring. I, I won't. We learned that. That's gross. I won't wear your hair ring. That's disgusting. I won't hold a sword for you to die on. I won't kill you, either. Beth, are we even friends? I think that my entire point of being your friend is to be your... To quote uh, Sophia from The Golden Girls again, <clears throat> is that instead of being your friend at your death, I'd rather be your friend in life. But you won't wear my hair in your ring. That's gross. Thank you for being friends. Hair rings, hair pendants, it's all nasty. Hair portraits, hair portraits, super gross. But Mark Antony was totally married. You're a pal and a confidant. Are you done? No, I'm not. The song has several more words. But yes, I find Enobarbus to be an interesting character in this whole mess. So, in other plays, we've looked for a couple of tropes. Um, We've looked for the True North character. Enobarbus, is he our True North character? Which is really funny because... Or is it Libius? Lepidus? Lepidus. And labias... Yeah, no. No vaginas. No. Uh, it could be Lepidus. It could be Anabarbus. Because um, they both seem which to be... The, the funny thing is is that in Julius Caesar, Mark Antony... He's our true North ...was character. one of our true so, North characters. He is this... But in this play, fuck it, straight out the window. No, because that I Egyptian feel... queen totally screwed him up. I feel like when Enobarbus raises concerns, they're legitimate. So when he's talking to Mark Antony at the beginning and he's saying, hey, I'm a little concerned with the depth of your devotion to this Egyptian queen. Maybe we should go back to Rome. Maybe back it down a little bit. Maybe go back to Rome, fight some pirates. Maybe sit this fight one out. pirates. <laughs> you love fighting pirates. My people. Your people. Yes, Chase's Margaret. People. Yes, Margaret. Your people. Um, maybe you should sit this one out. Naomi. Yeah, but I do think I do think that there is. Of course, Enobarbus is head over heels for. Well, yeah, and I think there's there's definitely evidence to support that the, the huge long speech he makes about how beautiful she is. Well, there's also like he keeps going. <laughs> yeah, like to the point of everyone around Enobarbus while he's doing that is uncomfortable. So that scene nicely mirrors though the the scene where the messenger comes back and the the handmaidens are are telling how hideous mm-hmm. Octavian is. There's a lot of neat mirroring and a lot of neat fe- foreshadowing that happens in this play. It's also a really boring play if you try to watch it if you're remotely tired. I'm I put al- this. I put this thing on last night. I'm always tired. After I put my daughter to bed, I I was like, you know, I need a I need a refresher. It's been you know I've like I've listened to it. I've read it. I need to give give myself a refresher before going into the podcast. So last night, I decided to sit down, and I'm going to watch. And I'm like, oh, this one will be great. It's Timothy Dalton as Mark Antony. Lynn Redgrave is playing Cleopatra. Oh, fantastic. This is wonderful. Walter Koenig, the man who played Chekhov in Star Trek. He's in it. Nichelle Nichols plays Charmian. 
Fantastic! This is a star-studded cat. And it's an exciting story. There are pirates. There are battles. I, there's. I asked out like nobody's business. I got through the first two acts, maybe, and my wife woke me up when she got home because I was passed out from watching was, Anthony and Cleopatra. Because it's 13, a long. It's those thirteen scenes in Act Three. It's a long play. Yeah. It is a the shortest. Play. The shortest cuts, the shortest cuts of this play, still come to two and a half plus hours. Well, and I don't, I don't feel like we really see this one performed that often. Probably because it is so long. It's so long. It's well, an incredibly long play. It's long. It's a story that everybody feels they know. And when I was thinking about how would I, as a director, approach this. My best thought was that that kind of like biker surfer movie. Like that was the most interesting spin that I could put the on. The best this. the best adaptations of this story are not are the modern takes on mm-hmm. the story. I'm really excited uh, by the way for Tyler Ward to get to this part because now we're going to get a text with these are all the 16 different ways that I would have done it. But, but the movie the movie Cleopatra with uh Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra is not a direct Shakespeare adaptation of the story. Except for the asp death. It expounds, like it takes the story and it turns it into Cleopatra's story wholeheartedly. Antony is there, but, you know, it makes it makes Cleopatra the central figure of the story. And Antony, yeah, and Antony is very much the the HBO series Rome. Which we didn't get into when we were discussing Julius Caesar, but the the couple seasons that HBO released of their series Rome really covers. You really get to understand Gaius Julius and Mark Antony and things like that, and it starts to get into Egypt and everything like that. You get like the the forefront of the story of Antony and Cleopatra. You know, more so you get Julius Caesar and Cleopatra through that, but you get. The backstory of this, and it's a far better adaptation. But there aren't a lot of adaptations out there of this story. There's not a lot of films. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of Cleopatra films, and a there's, lot of them come from. Yeah, you know, like there's the, the Charlton, there's the Charlton Heston Antony and Cleopatra, where he plays Mark Antony. There's, a, like I said, the Timothy Dalton. Lynn Redgrave. There's actually one that was filmed in 2015 that's uh, not that old, uh, but is an Antony and Cleopatra. Um, There's a Bengali one from 2016. Yes. And actually, I really want to see that. It's Zolkafar or Zolfakar. Um, it's a Bollywood huh. take on Antony and Cleopatra that I discovered when I was going through this. And I really actually kind of want to see it. Because I feel like it'll be more interesting. <laughs> and the, I think that saying that it's not interesting is kind of a disservice because there are very definitely interesting things that you could delve really deep into. I, I think. think the problem with the fact that it, the reason it ends up being ultimately uninteresting is because of the length. The length of the piece is... Well, and I also... You have to cut it to make it palatable. And I, I think... Palatable. Part of the issue, too, is that I feel like the most exciting parts of the story happen offstage in a lot of ways. 
like we Fulvia's just death? kind of yes. Well, yeah, like like but Fulvia, we hear about Fulvia, them after and Anthony's like Anthony's brother and his wife going into rebellion against Rome while Anthony is off fucking Cleopatra in Egypt and isn't there, and everybody's like. You know, motherfucker, if you'd have been in Rome, your wife maybe wouldn't have fucking tried to have... Or might have won. Yeah. Because at that time, Octavius would have still been young enough that he might have been able to overthrow him. Well, if Antony had been part of their rebellion, maybe. But also, they look at it from the side of Antony would have put down the rebellion. <laughs> or stopped it. Yeah. Because he'd have been like, look, wife, you can't go into rebellion against me. Says you. But that's, you know, that's what they're saying about mm-hmm. Mark Antony. Is they, uh, Fulvia would not have gone into rebellion against Rome if her husband had not been off fucking the Egyptian queen. And he's like, she told me to go to Egypt. <laughs> like, that's his excuse. Fulvia told me to go. Y'all said I had to get over there. So that... That means I should sleep with the queen, right? Well, obviously. If your wife tells you look, to go to another country and there's look, a queen there. That's Mark Antony's reasoning. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. So, one of the things that I do find interesting and that I've mentioned before is actually the writing and the structure and some of the cool things he's doing. Well, like, it's, and, it and has some jump cuts. It has some jump cuts, but one of the things I did want to take a moment just to point out is um, when Cleopatra's talking about being dragged through Rome Mm because I went through this whole part like super fast when she's talking about being dragged through Rome one of the things that she laments is the the Alexandrian uh, comedies that the Roman people will put on about her that uh, the quick comedians extemporally stage us and present our Alexandrian revels Antony shall be brought drunken forth, and I shall see some squeaking Cleopatra boy, my greatness posture of a whore. So, I think this is a funny, like, I think this play is funny. I think there's a lot of funny things in mm-hmm. this. But this is a wonderful piece of dramatic irony that I just think is hilarious. Because Cleopatra would have, would have been played by... A squeaking boy. Mm-hmm. So, standing on the stage, here's a squeaking boy who's dressed up kind of like a whore... That Cleopatra was talking about how they're going to be made into a whore. Yeah, and I think it is a way of, uh, for Shakespeare, of saying, you know, think about how we're presenting this very powerful woman. Think Mm. about... Think about how we present women. Yeah. Think about how we're presenting the past and how we are putting up their revelries for our own Mm -hmm. amusement. Um, But he, he writes in such a, like... A funny way throughout the whole thing the power struggle the mm-hmm. welcome to rome says caesar sit no you sit no you sit no you sit well These and like even at, like, at, at, the, at the beginning with with uh antony and cleopatra when he's sending away the, the um the messenger and he's all oh i love you so much oh i, I love, love you so much yeah so this play i like it's not it's not necessarily a tragedy Although everybody dies. So many people die. So, yeah. So could Do we have a body count on this one? No. I could look it up. And how many of them die of broken hearts? But if it's not a tragedy because it's history, but it's not historical and it's funny, so it's not really a comedy. 
it falls into tragedy. It falls into it's not really. It's like a. It's one of the problem plays because it doesn't fit any of the categories. So when people go to do the histories, do you throw Cleopatra? No, I think I think you throw it in with you throw it in with the tragedies because of the tragedy of Julius Caesar, and it is obviously. But Julius Caesar gets performed as part of the histories. Julius Caesar is a tragedy, and it is performed as one of the tragedies. It is literally the tragedy of Julius Caesar. I mean, literally. Look it up. Look it up. I am. Literally, literally, it, it, is, it is a tragedy because that's yeah. What so I use for the, the, the title podcast. is the tragedy of Julius Caesar. Antony and Cleopatra is the sequel to that, and everyone dies. It is a tragedy. So, but it is a it's just a it's difficult... a more farcical tragedy um, than the usual that we get for Billy Shakes. So I, I just think it's. It's very funny. I get I get what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree that there are comedic aspects and that it is lighter and than that, it's lighter than a lot of the tragedies, but it is a tragedy. It is not does not take place over three days. There's not a I mean, I there's a wedding, but uh, it happens off stage. But you know, for it to be a romance, it has to be three days in a wedding, and so therefore it's not a romance. It's, you know, it's not technically a comedy, though there are definitely comedic moments. There is a clown as well. Also, again, the clown is not the fool. The fool would be the Egyptian messenger. Or the eunuch. Madwin or... Yeah, those two pretty fool it up together. But they, like, the clown... He keeps calling people clowns, and they're not clowns. They're not funny. What, pa? What, pa? To answer my earlier question, uh, there are ten deaths in Antony and Cleopatra. Um, I want to thank Good Tickle Brain, which is a webcomic that everybody should look up because she does stick figure Shakespeare, and for all of the tragedies, she has something called a death clock, where she uh, tracks the deaths based on where they happen in the play. And how is they Fulvia die. Fulvia dies of illness. Um, Pacorus is killed by Ventidius. Pompey is killed is, by Lepidus. Pacorus is the son of the uh, Parthian king that Ventidius kills. <laughs> um, and according to this, we have two deaths by broken hearts. God. You know what? And I've been misspeaking this entire podcast. I apologize. It is not Anabarbus. Who kills himself when Antony says, will you please kill me? Who is it? That is Eros. Okay. Um, he is the one who is with Mark Antony when he says, please kill me. And he says, I will not. I will kill myself instead. Which is honestly even funnier. That this random... Eros. Eros. But it's, it's easy It's easy to confuse with Enobarbus. Because Enobarbus has been with Antony throughout everything. And according to this, Enobarbus dies of a broken heart. Yes. Come on, Anabarbus. <laughs> well, come on, Shakespeare. You know what? You know what? Let's, let's settle this. I am glad that Shakespeare was willing to let a man, for once, die of a broken heart. That's fair. The How other w- broken heart is Iris. Who is one of the handmaidens of Cleopatra. And then Cleopatra and Charmian both die by snake bite. How do- Cleopatra dies first. Then Charmian. Yes. Or actually, then, no, then Iris. I believe Iris dies of a broken heart, and then Charmian's like... What do I do now? Yeah. 
Charmian, Charmian was Nichelle Nichols in the uh, the one that I fell asleep watching. I just looked up night. adaptations real quick to make sure I knew them all. Timothy Dalton played Anthony twice. But my favorite part about this death clock is uh, Eros, uh, she, she puts the character and then how they died. Eros stabs himself. Anthony stabs himself, but not very well. <laughs> not super great. <laughs> Timothy, Timothy Dalton with a beard was interesting for me because I only knew him as James Bond other than, other than that. and so He, he does was, a fantastic rip butler. As a, You'll never watch Scarlet. It's terrible. I'm teasing. It's as, as James Bond, obviously, has no facial hair, but as Mark Antony, he has a beard. And so that was that threw me for a little bit of a loop. Well, but. his quintessential role for Timothy Dalton, like his really iconic role in Hot Fuzz, I think he has a beard. <laughs> well, twice in one night, Pat. How do you feel? I feel pretty good that I keep breaking Ryan tonight. Yeah. I must I must be hitting up my stupid quota. Timothy, Timothy Dalton's quintessential role is in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yeah, I think it's his most iconic. I think it's what people know him for. It's really where he broke through. Timothy Dalton, good God, Dad. Timothy Dalton, he's amazing in that. He's James Bond. Who? Nobody's ever heard of James Bond. <laughs> so I do not know of any... What, <laughs> He was the fourth fucking James Bond. Yeah, but it wasn't like what Moonraker. That doesn't matter. No, Moonraker was Roger Moore. <laughs> Isn't that Octopussy? Also, Roger Moore. That's the best one, right? That's the one with a circular saw yo-yo. Yes, that is in Octopussy. I can't believe that you actually like legitimately named something correctly. <laughs> anyway, I, I know that one. <laughs> Roger Moore is my favorite James Bond, and everybody says I'm wrong. No, I, I like Roger Moore. I grew up on Roger Moreland's. He, he, Roger Moore has uh, View to a Kill, which has Christopher Walken as the Bond villain. And Grace Jones is the Bond girl. So Grace Jones woman looking women standing outside. So I mean I don't open the door, they will not knock again. I don't I don't hate that Roger Moore is your favorite. That that doesn't bother me any. Now that you're not nineteen anymore. I didn't hate it then. Mm. Either way. I grew up on Roger Moore game. Either Bond. way. Timothy Dalton's fucking terrible, but... Timothy Dalton is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I actually, what I should say is Timothy Dalton was not a bad James Bond. He had terrible James Bond scripts. Living Daylights. I have not seen a majority of the James Bond. I have. How about you? No. You, but, you know what I've seen everything of? I've seen every Jane Austen adaptation. How about you? Just about, except Just about. the ones that are awful. Okay, hey, hey, ah, uh, 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 uh. I even watched the Mormon uh, Pride and Prejudice. Eh, eh. This is Shakespeare. Well, we were talking about James Bond. Well, that's because <laughs> Timothy Dalton played Mark Antony. There was actually a tie-in. You just went on a Jane Austen tangent Do for no good reason. Do you want me to name how many Jane Austen miniseries actors have also done Shakespeare? I, I, I don't do you care. want me to do that no, right now? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> On a scale of one to Pretty fucking sure don't Dalton care. In there. On a scale of one to I don't. I'm just saying. Fucking care. I can connect it, and Beth is the queen of bad segues, so we can make <laughs> that bridge. Anyway, back to Anthony and Cleopatra. Back to Anthony and Cleopatra. Um, Since I do... you were so offended about my James Bond segue that at least made some sense. <laughs> I do not know of any 
literary web series for this play. I don't think there are any. There are a few novelizations and things out there. But but are they of Shakespeare or are they just of the story and the characters? There are some that are. So and and here's where the problem is because a, a lot of it, a lot of modern literature draws on Shakespeare's adaptation. Yeah. So it's going to be very hard to say that there are no adaptations out there because every Cleopatra book is going to have pieces in it, unless it's just a straight history book. It's going to have pieces in it that are drawn from this. Because because Shakespeare's adaptation is the most famous adaptation of the story, you can't avoid Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. If if you were to write a a modern novelization of anything to do with Antony and Cleopatra, you're going to come back to Shakespeare at some point. That's so, fair. like I said, well, like I, while I said, uh, like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, the Cleopatra that Elizabeth Taylor made, that film, is not Shakespeare adaptation. It is still drawing on that story. Yes. It's still drawing on Shakespeare's version of Antony and Cleopatra. So, I think it's safe to say, though, that while we're looking at this, I mean, it's not done a whole lot. But it may be, as we look at how prevalent Cleopatra is in our modern society still, as an archetype, as a character, as somebody who is continuously put into series, into random places, uh, this is a very influential piece because it gives us this myth of her death. Well, and she is one of, if not the most powerful female characters Shakespeare wrote. I'll give you that. I think so. Because she is, she's a queen, and she's a queen in right, and not just by marriage. Yeah. Right. She's born into being queen. She, she's, she's a Ptolemaic queen. She has her own agency. She is powerful in threats as well as in political maneuvers. She is both vulnerable as well as strong. She, she is gets a, what she wants. She is she's, a well-rounded character. Then's a whole scene punching a guy in the face. Oh she punches a dude in the mouth. Threatens to punch one of her handmaidens. If you, I swear, if you say Caesar's name one more time, I'm gonna make your teeth bleed. She punched the dude in the mouth. Stopped in the middle of punching the dude in the mouth and went. This is Wait, wrong. This is wrong. I'm above this. You shouldn't beat the messenger. I, I am. I am better than punching you in the mouth. I'm gonna have this dude punch you in the mouth. <laughs> so she is, and she is strong. She is vulnerable. She is complicated. I like. This Cleopatra, I think that she may be. Uh, I'm gonna put her if we if we're taking a chart list of top feminist characters. I'm gonna put her in my top two. She definitely she definitely is top five for me. Um, as far as Shakespeare's feminist, you know, iconic feminist characters, we should put a poster board up here. To <laughs> we just write them down. I agree. But yeah, she's definitely top five for me for sure of Shakespeare's. Uh, Feminist icon characters. Okay. Um, so that that kind of wraps up Anthony. Now, now Anthony, Anthony, like Cleopatra's fantastic, and Anthony's kind of a twat. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas Anthony and Julius Caesar, we, Julius we, Caesar was kind of eh. We well, we talked about he gets to deliver the greatest speech in Julius Caesar. He gets to deliver friends, Romans, countrymen, <laughs> and then we turn around and we do this one, and <laughs> Anthony has all of a sudden just like. Everything cool about Antony buggers off, and he's just besotted with 
Cleopatra, and he no longer has. She totally lotus blossoms him because he just wants to like drink and sleep with her, fish. And revel, he also and wants to fish. fish, and just he just wants to be it's the fishing was the problem. Like he wants to be Lepidus thinks so. Her man. Yeah. yeah, he just wants to stay in Egypt and fish and drink and fuck, he, and that's it. It doesn't sound so bad when you say it. Like I that. mean, really, I mean. Yeah, but he's supposed to be one of the triumvirate of Rome. Yeah, so. he's supposed to be part of the rulers of Rome. He's, yeah. he's a triumvir of Rome, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, but, of course, my favorite Mark Antony is always going to be James Purefoy, so. Well, good. James Purefoy played him in the Rome that HBO put on. Like, that's the best I've ever enjoyed Mark Antony. Most of the Mark Antonys that I've seen. I'm trying to remember who James Purefoy is. Uh, James Purefoy has been in many things. Um... Solomon Kane. Uh, he did a children's movie called George and the Dragon that had Michael Clark Duncan in it, uh, where he played St. George. Um, and it's delightful. The reason that they made this movie was because they all had kids, and there was like, so like all these these Hollywood actors, like for Peanuts, made this St. George and the Dragon movie for their kids. And Michael Clark Duncan's in it, James Purefoy's in it. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. It's called George why, and the Dragon. Why didn't we just start off with the fact that he's in a knight's tale, that he plays the Black Prince? Wait, he's the Black Prince. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just, that's a given. <laughs> well, I'm looking through his filmography here, and I'm like, nope. 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 James Purefoy is nope. delightful. Oh, okay. night, oh, yeah, knight's tale. I remember that. He's delightful. He's Either way, he's my favorite Mark Antony, and he's not Ian Antony and Cleopatra, and that's my only, my, you know. But Cleopatra, however, uh, you know, is fantastic. Anobarbus, like, there's a lot of interesting things that happen, but nothing, like, this play could have been shortened by about two hours. Yeah, I think so we could have... 45 minutes? We could have cut... Am I telling the play? I think we could have cut about half of the scenes where we go to Cleopatra in Egypt and see her going... I'm a Mark Antony. Somebody tell me how ugly his wife is. Except for where she's punching bitches in the mouth. No, no, no. That can stay. Yeah, she. Well, she goes from like writing in her and her Lisa Frank diary about how (laughs) Cleopatra. With the very colorful snake on the front. I really want to see. She's got a rainbow rainbow viper on the front of it. Yeah. Yeah. She goes from like writing his name. She's like signing her last name. Mrs. Cleopatra Antony. Yeah. Yeah. To punching a dude in the face. She just. Well, because she goes through a lot of mood swings in this. And it's. it's, Oh, I know who it is. Do you remember the show Hey Arnold? Yes. yes. She's Helga. She's Helga. She's, Helga. she's, she's Helga. absolutely Helga. I don't, Helga. I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. Well, she's, but that's fine. She's totally, I don't have to. She's the bruiser but, of the neighborhood, except for she's so in love in, in like five years, your daughter's going to fucking love Hey Arnold. Uh, no. It's gone. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah. But either or way. Hulu. Either way. One of those. Um, Cleopatra goes through so many, like, different mood swings and things like that as she is lovey with Mark Antony and then she is chiding Mark Antony and then she is punching bitches in the mouth and then she's, you know, like, she... But... It's not flip-flop. That's just what being a woman is like. But but it's also... It's also one of the things that I think is the way she controls other people is by being unpredictable. Yeah. By mouth punches. 
Well, and punching bitches in the mouth. Having been a woman my entire life, Cass, you can back me up on this. You've mm-hmm. been one too. Um, the mood swings of hormones—that's just that just is. But I don't—I don't even think it's necessarily yeah. a hormone thing. I think with her, it's, it that's is a calculated control thing. You've never gone from laughing at a dick and fart joke to crying at the fact that that kitten sneezed. So. <laughs> No, I have never done that. You are, you're absolutely correct that, in that. Is that about right? I've never had that personal experience, but it's Beth funny. laughs at a lot of dick and fart jokes. <laughs> and apparently cries at a lot of kitten sneezes. I can't they're speak so, to that, but she does laugh at dick so, and fart jokes. They're so cute. Yeah, they are. They're pretty cute. All right, so last thoughts on this show before we um, wrap it up. I'm well, going with my last thought. I like this show. I think that this is something that, with, yes, a little cutting, would be something I would be willing to stage. I hate this show because it is so bipolar. Like, you just don't know what's happening. If it had a better through line, I would be more apt to to enjoy it. I think with the right cutting, and I'm talking significant cuts. I'm because not cutting the pirates. You don't have to cut the pirates. No, I'm, don't cut I'm talking. People. I'm talking. I'm talking like this is like a four-hour show. You have to cut this down by at least two hours. You have to cut this down to like two hours runtime. Otherwise, it's too long. I listen. I watched a three-hour version, and like I said, I fell asleep an hour and a half in, and we were still in Act One. I swear to God. I think any full length. I watched the full Hamlet that Kenneth Branagh did. I was blowing spitballs uh, at some uh, point. The, the Branagh Hamlet is not worth... No, it's the Zeffirelli Hamlet that you should watch. I have seen that. We'll get Tenet to that. Hamlet. We'll get to that. Oh. Uh, my last Your final thought... Thoughts my final thought is I'm relatively ambivalent towards this play, but I do want to make sure that everybody knows my fun fact about Cleopatra, which is that she lived closer to the modern age than she did to the building of the Great Pyramids. True. True. She, if... She was alive close to Caesar's death. She would have been alive in in eighty. Mm-hmm. So that would be closer. Yeah. That's that's my fun fact about Cleopatra. They were probably like two thousand years away from her death. Mm-hmm. So Great. all right, Chase. Well, do you have a fun fact? Do you have a final parting thought? I'm scared I, to be get out of my house. I am completely <laughs> unfamiliar with this show. Um, this has been a wonderful way for me to learn about this show. You spent most of it playing on your phone. I was talking with people largely about this recording, actually. Ooh, there are people. I feel special. We have people. We have, we have people. people. We have person. Okay, well, singular. And you know what? There, you know what? And there, I, I am positive there are multiple people listening to this show. Well, hey, we did have like 120 like subscribers. Or Thank something. you for subscribing. Yes, yes, please continue to subscribe on on uh, Google Play or. We're gonna do this anyway, but thanks iTunes. for listening. Yeah. I guess Stitcher. That's a thing where people get podcasts. <laughs> yeah, but we're not on that yet. I have. Oh, that's okay. A, that's a pain in the ass to get on there. Okay, well then, don't look for us there. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I'm, maybe I'll get a, a ball hair up my ass around this. Getting but iTunes and Google Play for sure. Yeah, Otherwise, definitely. we do share the link on the Facebooks. It's also available on Lionface, uh, the Lionface website. Um, you know where you got this. You know where to find it. You're obviously already you, listening. You, you listen, you're listening to one. Go back there. There's more. Yeah. There's, uh, well, yeah, because this is episode 12, and I think it's time to sign off. 
Yeah. Fight. We're going to be teenagers next time we get together. Wait, what? <laughs> 13. 13. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll, we'll be in the teens we the will. next time we do this. All right. So, uh, I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. Cassie Greenley. Jace Greenley. Thank you for listening to Shakespeare. Say goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John Boy. What, Paul? I think we're so funny. <laughs>